you've got to plant the seedlings, those particular species with the proper spacing and at the proper time, usually the beginning of the rainy season, so that's enough water to su support them. And these areas do have some water, but you've got to be strategic about it and not plant the wrong seedlings in the wrong matter and the wrong time, and that's a recipe. Disaster. If you do it right, you're talking survival rates in like the 90s and mid-90%, which is great. So it's very efficient, and that, again, leads back to the low cost per tree because your trees are living. And to define a tree here, just to be clear, a seedling in the nursery is not a tree. That's a seedling. Now, throwing a seed in a field and hoping for the best is not a tree. A tree, air quotes, is a seedling that you grew from seed that is now a healthy little guy, whether 3, 6, 12 inches, whatever, and now transplanted that or outplanted that into the field. That's a tree. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. Every week, I invite you to care more so that together we can create that better world together. Today, we're going to dive deeply into the difference we can collectively make for as little as 15 cents. I'm thrilled to introduce you today to Hank Dearden and ForestPlanet.org. Hank is the founder and executive director of Forest Planet. It is a 501c3 organization that was founded back in 2018. Forest Planet supports large scale, low cost, obviously at 15 cents per tree, reforestation projects around the globe. The focus is on planting trees where they will have the greatest positive impact on the soil, on the local habitat, on the environment, and also on communities in peril. So far, almost a million trees have been planted and their efforts are accelerating. While we get to dive deeply into these powerful reforestation projects today, Hank is also joining me to talk about an on-demand film screening of a film called From Seed to Seed. It's by Katarina Steifenhofer. I hope I'm getting her pronunciation correct. That screening runs from November 4th to November 6th, 2022. So I am going to race to get this out to all of you. For each on-demand screening available for the low price of only $10, 50 trees will be planted. So you can enjoy a film and know that your money is going to work creating positive change. Hank Dearden III, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having all three of us. I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, I saw in your intro the third, and, and I always know that there's a story there. So how is it that you are Hank Dearden the third? Well, I mean, like all the other ones, there was a junior and then there was a senior, and we all had different names. It's Frank Henry Dearden the third. So, you know, since there were three of us, we all had to switch out the names. And I guess they were just all traditionalists, and it all worked out. So there were three of us, and now there's one, but we carry on. So I once dated a man named Otto Lunacher, and he has the same name as his father before him and his father before him and his father before him. I think they were on the fifth generation. And so he made the choice. He said, I am breaking this mold. I am not going to name my child Otto. It's on to the next generation. 
Yep. So I get how that can happen with, with generation upon generation. There's a certain amount of pride in the name too. So Yeah, it has a ring to it. So why not? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Okay. So before we get into talking about the screening of From Seed to Seed, which I had the pleasure of watching in a pre-screen last night, I'd like to hear more about your journey. What led you to founding this new organization? I say new because 2018 isn't too long ago. But Forest Planet specifically, what's behind it? What motivated you? So sort of a lot of things. It's like a culmination of a lot of things that have been happening in my life that all sort of came together. I guess when people talk about fulfillment, there's the Venn diagram of the four circles where you have something that you're good at, something that you like, something that's important, and something that makes you money, makes a living. Well, it sounds like you're talking about your Ikigai, that Japanese context. Okay. So a few decades, multiple, never mind how many, to figure that all out, that you needed to have all four of those and that where they all sort of come together is personal fulfillment. And that's what happened. My background is in business development, sales and marketing and, and communications and consultative sales. I have an engineering degree, I have a math degree, so I'm kind of an empirical kind of guy focused on facts and keeping the bridge up. Did the circuit work or not? Kind of like a chop-chop, yes or no kind of guy sales is a great thing. You either close a deal or you don't. So you have that kind of definitive feedback as well. Start up. You can't really sort of fuzzy that. But at the same time, I'm also kind of a green guy and I kind of like the planet that we live on. And Kind of like it. <laughs> yeah. Tough habit to break. Oxygen being oxygen. You get used to these things. Water, gravity. It's sort of like the common sense reality is, is that on one hand, people say that it's a very spiritual connection to the planet and they're tree huggers and that's all fine. I can't really say that I have a spiritual connection. I'm, I'm more like a practical connection that I love the planet. I love the trees. I love the things that supply life because, you know, life itself is a pretty good thing. So let's focus on that. So multiple career paths. I did work for another NGO that was doing reforestation projects for a while. A little bit frustrating, mostly because they were kind of muddling along at a one or two million dollar a year level, which is, you know, great in and of itself. But their message and their need was at least two or three orders of magnitudes larger than they needed to scale. In order to do that, you have to have a business processes and sort of tighten up and use your CRM and use your CMS and so, so things can scale so it's not just chaos. And got kind of blank stares when I was told that like, as kind of like the operations guy, hey, we need to start using the CRM. We need to start tightening up our business processes. And some people were like saying, yeah, well, we're not a business. We're a mission-based organization. Right. This seems like we're reflecting a bit on some of my personal experience. I chose to go and get my MBA from Santa Clara University. And I was told by some of my friends who work in the not-for-profit sector that if my aspirations were to work in not-for-profit, it might actually be looked down on that I have an MBA. Because there's some of this systemic issue within the NGO community that somehow looking at the work as a business is problematic in and of itself. But the reality is, even if you're an NGO, you're selling a service. The service is what you're providing. And if you can't show success in fundraising, then you crumble and you can't create the sorts of change that you want. So, I mean, I think it's so antithetical to what they're trying to do. It's really kind of, as we could say, it's tripping over dollars to pick up dimes. Yeah, there you go. Pennywise, pound foolish, all the above. So totally agreed. Anyway, so I found myself on the curb blinking in 2015. And so what do you do? You either curse the darkness or light a candle. But before that, of course, I go to Ireland and go biking. 
as one does. Right? Well, that's a great place to commune with nature too. I visited Ireland and I think I suddenly understood how there could be so many different shades of green in nature because it just felt like the entire, I mean, all of Ireland was so green and growing. Awesome. And the people were wonderful. And I mean, even the moss had moss on it. So right. it was <laughs> great. I was mother and came back and really sort of liked the mission, like what they were doing. And But let's like really try to do it run it a little bit more as a tighter ship. And we'll say, well, Hank, why don't you start your own? And I was like, well, I can't do that because I frankly, honestly, don't have the experience of being in the field and getting 10, 20, 30, 40,000 seedlings into the ground. That's hard. That's a skill that I admire and I don't, I haven't done it. I mean, I could learn it, but to start that up from scratch, it would be a big capital investment. And right. people are saying, listen, well, look, you just don't have to do that. You can just sub it out to organizations that are already up and running and do what you do, which is this, you know, communications and get out there and find them the money and then subcontract it out. And I was like, yeah, no, I can't do that. And I thought about it for a little bit, took a bike ride, came back. And, well, of course I can do that. That's actually even a better model because you're a lot more resilient to anything that goes on. If you're working with tree planting partners around the planet, you have a lot to choose from. And then plus the fact you have a lot of stories that your supporters can take part in, take credit where credit's due, and share in as well. There are similar stories in terms of soil uh, restoration or water retention or societal benefit and blah, blah, blah. They're all sort of along those lines, but they could be in Africa or Asia or the Americas or Europe or Iceland or whatever. And they're, all, they're great stories that all the brands that you work with can, can work with as well. So that's yeah. fourth minute and launched it, actually got our 501c3 at the end of 2017 after spending a whole year going through that McGill, I really sort of punched it out the window, punched it out the door, as you say, in 2018. We're sneaking up on our first million trees. The next million, I hope, will take months, not years. And then after that, weeks and then days and then minutes. This is the scale I want to get to. So we talk about something as small as a 15 cent investment per tree. How exactly are you able to achieve that? Well, there's just uh, Western dollars, US dollars, as it were, go very, very far in the developing world. I mean, there are I don't even know what you call that, national inefficiencies where prices and wages in one country are at equilibrium, but just at a lower level versus prices and wages in the United States. That's much at a higher level with inflation and the balance of the dollar and this and that. Bottom line is, is that the dollar goes very, very far and you can get someone to plant spend all day out planting hundreds, maybe a couple thousand of seedlings all day. And you can like say in Tanzania, for example, pay them 10,000 Tanzanian shillings a day. And that's good money for them. They can live off of that. That's $4 and 20 cents. Mm. So the model here really is to collect money from the developing world, keep our costs super low, no office space. Now, I'm not even W2 yet, just still 1099. Everything distributed everything virtual, everything in the cloud, highly leveraged, and then transfer the money to vetted uh, tree planting partners that I've identified that have gone through, jumped through the hoops and make sure that the money's going the right place in the right way and use in a third, another company that of Spain, believe it or not, that does satellite monitoring, that does beautiful uh, GPS, you hand them the GPS coordinates and they can tell you almost exactly what's going on down to a fairly well what's happening there. So I can sit here in Washington, D.C. and with Olympian remove and see what's going on visit once a year, but even then the costs are very low. I mean, I was just in Africa for like 11 days and everything was covered and it just wasn't that much money for ground transportation and everything else. Even when they're paying $8, $9, $10 a gallon for gas, everything else was affordable because I was using Western dollars. 
So it was really sort of maybe, if you will, leveraging the inefficiencies across country, if that's a thing, but that's how it can be done. Wow. Well, this work in a way has, first of all, led you to plant almost a million trees so far. I see for those that are watching, whether it be on YouTube or on another medium, you can see all these trees, seedlings behind you in your image. So ultimately, something to be proud of. It's a legacy to leave behind and to understand that you've made that impact. Understanding too what a million seedlings can do when they get to full size really is incredible. You're creating entire ecosystems that may have been completely threatened and barren in the past. And so there has to be an element too of soil restoration in this in order for the reforestry efforts to really take hold and take root, literally. Are you involved as well in that kind of pre-seed perspective? So again, I trust the tree planting partners that I work with. It's their area. They're all sort of homegrown. And like when I was in Africa, I saw four different planting sites that we'd supported where different species were used for a different agenda that were sort of cited for that agenda. For example, one field, the Kwazizi, there's a blog post about it. Actually, the good news there is, is that that started having impact within a year in terms of hanging onto water because that's one planting site that was on a hill and it was normally a dry area. And so what you had to do was get the, the seedlings from a nursery and a well-run nursery. And first off, every tree planting partner I need I work with has to have embraced or gotten the memo. It's kind of like a hub and spoke model with the seedling, uh, with the nurseries where all manner of species are grown from seed. They're properly cared for. They're healthy babies, right, where you send them out in into the wild or into the fields. And then, of course, you've got to plant the seedlings, those particular species with the proper spacing and at the proper time, usually the beginning of the rainy season, so that's enough water to su support them. And these areas do have some water, but you've got to be strategic about it and not plant the wrong seedlings in the wrong matter and at the wrong time, and that's a recipe for disaster. If you do it right, you're talking survival rates in like the 90s and mid-90%. Which is great. So it's very efficient. And that again leads back to the low cost per tree because your trees are living. And to define a tree here, just to be clear, a seedling in the nursery is not a tree. That's a seedling. Throwing a seed in a field and hoping for the best is not a tree. A tree, air quotes, is a seedling that you grew from seed that is now a healthy little guy, whether three, six, 12 inches, whatever, and now transplanted that or outplanted that into the field. That's a tree. And they can have pretty rapid effects. So in fact, with Kwazizi, they planted seedlings that were maybe 6, 11, 12 inches tall tops in 2020. There was 80,000 of them in an area that was 40 hectares. It's about 100 football fields. A little more than a year later, what had happened was is that those seedlings had almost doubled in size. But more importantly, their root systems had developed enough and were mature enough and were secure enough to be holding the rainy season water. So that's the spring for them because they're just south of the equator. And then what they were able to do is intercrop around them all manner of food crops, corn, maize, potatoes, tomatoes, carrots, what you want. And that also secured the soil. So they're all working together. And by their fall, which was our spring, just this past March in 2022, I mean, they're pulling all kinds of food out of this field. So that's like a two-year less transformation from something that looked like Armageddon because it had been denuded and degraded from climate change and from fire and from bad farming practices and encroachment by the locals. And now it's incredibly productive right when this insane Ukrainian war is happening and everybody's talking about food scarcity in the developing world because the grain can't come from Ukraine. I was like, well, 
guess what? If you do the right thing, a lot of people grow your own. And here's a case study of how to do that. You're reminding me of an episode I recorded of Nutrition Without Compromise featuring John Rulak and his work around the film Kiss the Ground and also in agroforestry and regenerative agriculture. So it sounds like there's elements of that in the work that you're doing as well, which is incredible. And that also helps me better understand this connection to from seed to seed. So let's use this as that pivot point. Let's talk about how you got connected to, and I'm sorry, I may butcher her name, but Katarina Steifenhofer or Stiefenhofer? I believe it's Stiefenhofer, and I should know that. <laughs> I apologize to her now. I believe it's Stiefenhofer. I had a lovely chat with her just not, not even a couple of weeks ago, and now I've forgotten exactly. Well, she's a lovely person. Her family, she was born in Germany. They moved to Canada as a young child. She's been a farmer her whole, whole life. She's made a couple of films. I discovered this through a distributor here in D.C. We try to do all manner of events to get our brand out and get people engaged and plant trees with that, if you will. And we'll work with other people events like our local professional soccer team. They planted a tree with every ticket they sold for a game earlier this year. 20,000 trees got planted in one night. And then sometimes we'll produce our own events, film screenings, whatever. This is all pre-COVID. And that gets our brand out and sort of builds uh, relationships with people. And so during COVID, obviously none of that was happening. I'm probably going to grab a cup of water here. Certainly. Yes, cheers. Thank you. What? So during COVID, that was all shut down, but that gave me an opportunity to do a quick research on, you know, who's got a good, who's a distributor of good environmental films because I like environmental films. I'm a big fan of the DC Environmental Film Festival, which goes on every spring. I always volunteer. We've even sponsored in the past great movies and really gets the message out. It's very inspirational to me. So I said, well, you know, I can do that my own, just one at a time. Found this distributor. She had a whole library. Went down, oh, this looked interesting, seed to seed, what it was about, screened it, liked the story of about it. It's, it's sort of centered on multiple different farming prac groups, if you will, one being a small family farm that's just organic, and one being a larger sort of split conventional organic, discovering organic. So it's all multiple farmers growing different crops, all sort of in their own challenges and their own rewards, and all sort of moving some quicker than others, towards a more sustainable approach, a more organic approach. And it follows all of them over the course of a season. It's very well done. And I'm picky when it comes to movies because I've blue moon million of these things and they all kind of have a formula to them. But this kind of broke the formula. It looks good. It sounds good. So I said, you know what, I'll screen that. The price was right. I paid the royalty and in-person screening here in D.C. and scheduled it. And then within a week after I scheduled it, we had another COVID bump. So people were sick and not coming and just prices had gone up for the venue and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I liked the movie. I said, well, let's go to plan B. Let's try something else. And the distributor has a thing where you can do it on demand where they'll make it available over a time period for a very reasonable sum. And I, okay, fine. So that's what we did. So it's November 4th at noon Eastern time until December 6th, which is the Sunday until midnight Eastern time. So it's like a 60 hour window. Oh, November to November, not November to December, just to be clear. So I'm sorry, did I say December? I, I mean, apologize. if it was a month and two days, I mean, people yeah, No, might. no, no, no. <laughs> 60 hours, apologies. And it's an 87 minute movie and people can watch it as many times as they want during that sort of that window. And I think the thing that also drove me to it is it's real and it's also has a positive spin on it. And I, Maybe spins the wrong word, but it definitely has a positive tone. That's the word. That people are doing the right thing and they are trying and there is progress that's being made. And, you know, there's hope out there. Obviously, you can hear you don't have to try hard 
to hear all kinds of gloom and doom about the climate and hurricanes destroying, you know, three quarters of Florida at any given time. And those are very real and we need to take that seriously. But I think I also want to sort of say, okay, yes, that's real, but here are solutions that work. And Katharina's movie sort of captures one of those solutions. And so do we as Forest Planet. So we're kind of in sync in that regard. It dovetails with our the tone we're trying to project. So yeah. that's what well, we chose. I just want to make a couple of comments about the film itself, having had the opportunity to view it, mainly because I've spent my career in the natural products industry and therefore already had a base of knowledge around topics like GMOs and the perils that kind of thrusts on farmers in certain arenas, the reason for their success, and also the challenges that the GMO seeds can pose because we essentially end up in a situation where we're practically monocropping seeds at a certain point. We don't have the genetic diversity that was commonplace in prior generations. And so what I really loved about this film overall is we got to see the human side of what it is to be a smaller crop farmer operating a family farm. We got a view behind the curtain of Mennonite community that is working to preserve not only their traditions, but they're protecting their seeds. And so this whole concept of from seed to seed is ultimately ensuring that we've got a good library of different strains of seeds and helping us understand that the earth itself, the soil in a particular area in combination with the climate and the water and everything else that you're able to get from the environment will actually create generations of crops that are designed to thrive in that particular environment. If we let them and we don't necessarily tweak things like putting inborn pesticides in the seeds themselves, as with, of course, corn and the work of the company formerly known as Monsanto, now Bayer or Bayer, as many people call them. So I think it's important to deepen our understanding of how we have essentially adapted agriculture to benefit the big food companies and not the small companies. And then ultimately the power of community and a community that is really strong, like those in this Mennonite perspective to help one another and to ultimately preserve not only heritage, but plants in the process. Yep. Indeed. Agreed. Anyway, it's an absolute pleasure to watch. You also get, you get to see how these people are handling the animals that they're working with on their farms as well. So you can even get a touch of that kind of responsible animal husbandry thrown in here as well. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Well, I mean, for a small, let's call it a donation of $10, you get to not only see a good film, but you get to plant 50 trees. So I love that. I think the work you're doing is really incredible. And I did the math. I realized it's something like 20 cents a tree. But of course, you have overhead for this effort. Got to have overhead because I got to fly. And <laughs> if it's at least 50, it depends on the volume. Yeah. It's yeah. like any other business. If I can scale it up, I'll make it up in volume. Then percentages always look better with the, when the dollars are bigger. 
That's right. So that's that situation. So let's call it at least 50 trees. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so as people do sign up, they go to an event page, which I will link in our show notes to make sure it's easy for everyone to get to, as well as when I post this on social media and comments and things along those lines, just so it's easy for people. But you're directed to an event page, you can sign up, and then you essentially will get a link to watch the video during that two-day, 60-hour window, correct? Correct. So I'll send it out at noon with the link and the password, and we just ask people not to share it. And then there's also the link that will be there to the blog post on our webpage where the people can leave comments. So hopefully we're going to have uh, stimulate some running commentary over the course of the weekend. So I'll have the filmmaker and hopefully some cast members too. Knock wood, fingers Cast crossed. members. It makes it sound like they're hired talent. But yes, I understand what you're saying. They're, they they're are featured. Cast. They tell their stories. <laughs> the people in the movie will be certainly invited to join us and everybody chit-chat throughout the weekend. And I'm hoping to make it, and since it's Eventbrite and since it's all streamed by Vimeo and they've got incredible bandwidth, there's no limit to the number of people. I mean, I literally could have a million people watch this and chatting about it all at once. And why not? Let's do that. That's $10 million. That's a whole lot of trees right there that, get, that gets planted. And so, so far, we've actually got a small group of people. So registrations are growing, but we've got a group of people in South Africa and Australia who are going to be chiming in on this too. So yeah, why not? It's a global thing. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I understand you also have a Facebook page. Is that one of the spots where people can go to engage? Sure. I mean, I watch it a lot. So it's facebook.com forward slash go negative because we're trying to go carbon negative here with the trees as best as possible. We have a number of posts on there. We have shout outs to newest uh, and ongoing corporate partners, you know, the events, comments everywhere. I definitely try to go in there and respond to responsible comments, if you will. And, you know, if people want to engage with me on a constructive level, I'm, I'm happy to do so. I'm honored to do so. I'm glad that they took the time to do so. So I try to respond to that, be a couple assistants, monitor that very closely. So sure, another avenue. Fantastic. And I understand you also have an Instagram page that's active, which is instagram.com slash forestplanetorg. Is that correct? I believe so. Yes, I think that's it. Yeah. Awesome. Our traffic, frankly, is on Facebook, but you know, Instagram's coming along. We just have to, so many different channels to, to meet people. Seven <laughs> no. hours in the day. So sometimes we have to make the decision. Well, you'll have to come join me on TikTok too, because I'll be posting about this there. <laughs> and Snapchat and 47 other things that we haven't. Oh, no, I know. It's, it's kind of mind-numbing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, what I wish for you and also the people at From Seed to Seed, is so much success that you end up getting picked up by a big streaming platform like Netflix so that you get in front of more eyeballs. Because ultimately, this type of education, I think, is so important. It's especially important for generations of people that may not really understand the reality of farming today. I refer to it as the fragility of farming. I think we don't necessarily understand when we're not closely connected to our foods, how closely tied we are to our environment, to what's happening in the client, to the climate, to the last rain cycle, and even what a small water cycle is and how planting actually affects the small water cycle. There is just so much to know. The fact that trees themselves can actually create rain because their microbes tell the clouds that it's time to expel their water. I mean, these are the sorts of things that we don't, as I think Westerners, generally speaking, have a close tie to. And so I look at this film as a great way to educate yourself on the basics of what's involved with farming 
And really, if you're interested in becoming a backyard farmer yourself and turning a small plot of land that you have, perhaps even it's your front lawn into a little garden for your home or for your community, you could start to get ideas about how to do that and how to engage in your community because it really was such a great example of that. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to everybody joining us and hopefully they'll enjoy it as much as you did. I'm sure they will. So what I'm hoping too is that you will introduce me to Katarina Steifenhofer and perhaps I can even interview her on this show about the film, the making of the film. Of course, yeah, I'm sure she'd love to chat with you. Absolutely. Now, if there's a question that I haven't asked that perhaps you wish I had, what might it be? And um, if you have one, you could ask water. and answer that. Talking about soil, the different benefits. I think the other thing that the tree planting done right, of course, it's a given does, is the societal benefit as well. Because, for example, that one, since the tree forest restoration program that we had in Kwazizi and in most of these restoration projects, a lot of times there is an economic pressure that we're trying to alleviate as well. So Wangari Matai, she was the Ugandan woman who won the Nobel Peace Prize, I believe, in 2002, for and rightfully so, for planting 50, 70 million, whatever it was, trees in her lifetime. Great example for all of us and quite an inspiration. One of her best quotes was, the biggest stress on the land is the stress of this economic desperation, of human desperation. People will cut down their last tree and they will do things that are not economically and environmentally sustainable, knowingly, but they need to do it quick because their kids are hungry now. And it's just, it's a short-term thinking, reactionary thinking that happens when you get too many people who are frankly desperate. And we have 1 billion with a B of them on this planet right now. And say what you want about large corporations and the terrible things that they're doing. I would submit that the collective damage that these billion people are doing in terms of short-term activities are probably as harmful, if not more so, because there's a billion of them. Yes. I mean, you're speaking to exactly the reason that this podcast is called a social impact sustainability and regeneration show because of the fact that there's these two things are so closely connected. If you don't have a system that can support its people, then yeah, they might give their shirt off their backs for a friend. But they're also looking at the forest in their backyard and saying, well, heck, if I took that down, I could sell the wood or I could plant something that maybe these other guys want. And so then you have things like the decimation of habitats of the orangutan for palm kernel oil. I mean, this is what happens. And there is case after case after case of something like this. So it may have been in the past that we just had those few brands that were cause partnered and working to do sustainable cacao, but we really need to move away from those few to the mainstream so that the Hershey's of the world are only sourcing cacao that is responsibly farmed and that isn't basically raping the planet. I think the pressure is on, but we can't let up. And a big part of our effort needs to be around helping all of these communities around the globe rise up. At the same time, understanding that as they rise up, guess what happens? Carbon oh, yeah. Sequestration. By the way, you get carbon sequestration for free. Yeah. So we have to think about these two things in concert. So in an earlier episode, we talked about this very issue as I interviewed Ben Jeffries and featured his company, which is ultimately called A-Tech Global, right? They're out of Australia, and they're working specifically in the Far East to ensure that people in rising communities there are transitioning to clean cooking. 
And in that clean cooking, therefore not creating not only a health epidemic in the people locally because they're over a cook stove burning things that are not great to inhale, but also using clean energy at the same time, right down to their cook stoves. And so we need more solutions like this long term that are going to help people rise up, but also without having a huge carbon cost or a methane cost or another environmental degradation cost. I have a friend who grew up in Latin America and he said it was just commonplace to take your trash down to the river and throw it in. We all know that that's not the way we should be living. Polluting our waterways directly impacts the health of the planet in a very negative way. And the long-term result is that it negatively impacts your health because of the microplastics in our food and the environmental damage too. So plus it creates a really yucky, not pretty sight. <laughs> We all want to go to a beautiful forest. None of us wants to visit a littered beach, right? So important work. Well, thank you so much, Hank, for visiting me today and for sharing your important work with the world. I look forward to helping you get this word out and specifically we'll post a little bit more about this new film from seed to seed. I keep wanting to say the need for seed. For that works. <laughs> It's, yeah, we have a need to plant seedlings. We have a need to understand where our food comes from. There's, there's so much need behind all of this. Indeed. Thank you, Hank, so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Wow. What an important conversation and incredible work. To connect with Hank Dearden and what he's doing with forestplanet.org, I encourage you to visit their website forestplanet.org. I will be sure to include direct links to that event pride page with show notes so you can go ahead and watch that film. Again, doing a live stream from November 4th to 6th, From Seed to Seed. Again, November 4th to 6th. There will be 60 hours available to you for only $10, and your effort could mean 50 trees planted just for watching that film. I should remind us all, at least 50 trees planted. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please subscribe and write us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen so more people can discover this show. For complete transcripts, links to everything we discussed, and the video version of this podcast, you can simply visit caremorebebetter.com or find me on the social platforms. We do have a YouTube channel as well. You can even sign up for our newsletter on caremorebebetter.com and you'll receive a guide to help unleash your inner activist. It's a welcome gift and it's completely free. We only send out one email a week, so I promise not to bombard your in-bed. It also includes several charities that we encourage you to support. And now I know I need to update it with this one, forestplanet.org. If you have feedback or questions, you can always leave me a voicemail directly on my site or send me an email note to hello at caremorebebetter.com. Thank you now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can even reforest our beautiful planet. We can care more and we can be better. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good. Thank you.